And that's where there's a difference of culture too, I think. I think in our culture, coming back to that, I mean, ego can be a good thing too, don't get me wrong. Ego, you know, inspires people, it pushes them along, it gives them, you know, perhaps determination and perseverance. (laughs) But, you know, I think we do have a lot more ego in our culture when it comes to relationships, you know, uh, compared to others in in different in different cultures and in Argentina no one has any shame in saying or admitting love for another person even if it doesn't go anywhere yeah. you know even if it's just an admiration yeah you know whereas in our culture I think a lot of people don't want yeah there, there's a fear there of, of rejection and feeling stupid. You know, think of how many people miss opportunities perhaps, you know, developing a relationship or even a friendship with someone by feeling a bit silly, you know, or, or not wanting to appear foolish. A very, very different culture. I like that culture more. <laughs> I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth or I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to the Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald. Thank you so much for joining me for what is episode number 89 with Melinda Watts. Melinda and I are family. She is the cousin of my father, Robert. And yeah, over the years, we hadn't really had a proper conversation, not certainly one that I could remember from, say, my early 20s or teens. And so I wanted to pick her brain. And in this conversation, we chat a wide range of topics, starting, of course, with her earliest memory, but also how she now works uh, in alternative health therapies. I would sort of class it as, but we go into a lot of that and how she originally got interested in that. We also talk uh, relationships, love, feminism, and even porn gets a bit of a mention in there. So I won't spoil it too much for you guys, but this was a good one. I I almost cried in it. I think I probably did cry, you could say. But uh, yeah, it was was a really lovely conversation. Good to, just great to have a, a great conversation with a family member that yeah, I'd never really had before. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Melinda Watts. Melinda Watts, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Thank you so much, Rin. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. We're recording actually in your place today out in the western suburbs in Victoria. So it's lovely to be here for me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. So we are, by extension, family. My dad, Robert, is your cousin. That's right. So we're second cousins. Second cousins, yeah. And I was trying to work out with my two girls what your relationship is, and I think it's the correct term is second cousin twice removed. Twice removed. I think something like that. (laughs) Could get get on the internet or dictionary out and start defining how that works, but... (laughs) Yes, you've got two two girls and your husband here today. Who, yeah, I've you know met. We were sort of talking before we started here recording. You know, seen you guys at family functions and like extended family events over the years, but I don't really recall 
having a, a you know a proper conversation with you is probably just like in the moment, like hello, how how you doing, sort of thing. And that's right. Yeah, family gathering. Yeah, and we've got a big family. Mm, very big. Yeah. <laughs> so this is lovely to be able to sit down with you today and and learn more about you and your life and and the family. So by association, it'll be fun. So I would love to kick things off. Normally how I start these conversations is if you could start with your earliest memory and yeah, so as soon as you can sort of remember and bring us forward to present day, we're recording this in August, 2022. Uh, I like to sort of give a, a rough time limit of three to four minutes because I'm sure, you know, people can wax lyrical about their lives, but whatever's important to you, if you want to bring us forward, but yeah, starting with that earliest memory. Okay. I think I remember quite far back. My, you know, my memory of my childhood's really sharp. So I, I'm guessing what the first memory might be, but I do have this lovely memory of being pushed. Well, it was actually a doll's pram and I think I was very tiny, so I mustn't have been older than two. Mm maybe a little bit younger, but pushed in a doll's pram home from one side of a court to the other because my parents bought their first house in Springvale Mm. and and I was there till I think about the age of two Mm. or two and a half and then we moved to Vermont South and I just have this memory of being pushed, yeah, in a pram. It's probably not a very interesting memory, but I think it's the earliest one. Yeah, yeah. Do you (laughs) remember who was pushing you? Yes, my, yeah, my mum was. Yeah. Yep, yep. Pauline. Yes, my mum, Pauline, who's your grandmother's or Nan's young younger sister, one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were just going across the road. So we were in a court okay. and very good friends with the people opposite. Nice. And the f- court was just full of kids yeah. as it was back then in the 70s. I was born in 1972, so this okay. probably would have been about 1974, I'm yeah. guessing. So you're 50 then? Or I'm 50, 50, yeah, the big 5-0 this year. This year. When was that? When was your birthday? April the 25th. So when everyone else is, you know, um, it's Anzac Day. Yeah, it's right? Anzac Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sort of turn off a little bit from yeah, Anzac sure. Day so I can have a birthday. Yeah. Well, happy but... happy fiftieth this year. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thirty in two months. So. Oh, I thought you were twenty six. No, no, thirty. Yeah. You're thirty. Daniel's Daniel's twenty seven. Twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah, it might have been Daniel. Yeah. But it's funny you say um, you thought I was twenty six because the people I was out with last night they were like, oh, like. You seem like you're yeah mid twenties, twenty six. Someone mm-hmm. someone said so. It's funny. Do, I do get that a bit. But yeah. you do have the maturity of someone <laughs> older. Someone who's twenty nine. <laughs> yeah, twenty nine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, thank you. So yeah, so your mum's pushing you in the, yeah. in that pram and, and me yeah really tired, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> the other memories from that age that you probably don't want to know, I do remember throwing some tantrums in that sure. same house and I was only two when I left it, but I do remember a little bit about the house. It was tiny, mm. you know, probably about 10 square or something. It was yeah, a right. tiny, t- one of those really tiny homes in Springvale. And you've got one sister? I've got one older sister. Yeah. So, um she would have been, if I was two, she would have been four. She's two years older than me. Yeah. Yeah. Suzanne? Suzanne. Yeah. Yes. Lovely. Yeah. And 
Yeah. What are your memories growing up with Suzanne and the folks there in Springvale and then moving to Vermont South? Yeah. I just have this memory that comes a lot too, and it's another early memory of the new place in Vermont South. And I remember, you know, mum and dad would have just worked so hard even just to get their first home, mm. as as people do and people do now as well. Sure. So to move to a, a larger place, you know, I, I just remember that we had no furniture. I still remember the, <laughs> looking at the whole lounge and it was empty and there was just like an old milk crate sitting there in a room like a box, somewhere to sit. <laughs> You're in the room. So, you know, that that would have been, yeah, look, they, they worked very hard, mum and dad. I think that generation did. Mm. And as you were talking about with your nan, mm. you know, once my mother married, she lost a job, you know, which yeah. is what happened back then. It was just an automatic thing. It wasn't being sacked. Oh, well, you're getting married. You're going to have children. So, you know, we say goodbye to you. Wow. Yeah. What so, did she do? What did Pauline do before? She marriage? she did office administration, sure. accounts. She was very good at maths. Yeah. She didn't stay doing that. When she went back to work when I was hit the high school, she slowly tried to get out of that and went more into human resources and did work cover and things like that for the local council. Sure. So I think she couldn't. A lot of people say they can't wait to get out of accounts. Really? <laughs> Accounting. Numbers and sort of yeah. Yeah, repetitive stuff. I think so. It's interesting, yeah. but she was quite smart. I do remember that. I feel like all of the headlands were quite intelligent, like my yes. Nan of Pat. Yeah. Yeah, your nan the most. She really? was always very well read yeah. and oh, very educated. Yeah. And I know she wanted to study law too. Yeah. It just was very hard for women back then to do that yeah. unless you were very wealthy. Sure. Yeah. So she was always the most educated, I think, yeah. you know. And neither of my parents made it to, you know, tertiary education, I think, because my mother had grown up most of her childhood in a boarding school okay. um, with the nuns and they didn't know how to teach matriculation as a horse, so I don't think she passed it, yeah. you know, and my father left school, in, I think, at, by 14. Oh, wow. If he didn't have a lot of money, that's what you did. You left school back in those days. Oh, because you couldn't afford to go to school? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, and you got out and you, you know, you got a job. What did he do, a trade or something? Like oh, he did a lot of different things, Dad, but, yes, he did learn some trade. Yeah. But by the time I was born, he was an insurance broker. Yeah, it's Chris, right, your dad? Chris, yeah. My, yeah, my father, Chris, and... um. He, you know, we probably have an idea what an insurance broker did. You didn't have all the, the things on the net back, you know, back in those days to help you yeah, yeah. find the well, best I, insurance I company. used to work for a financial planning company. We would sell, yeah, life insurance and those sorts of things. So I know well, a bit about it. Well, there you go. He'd yeah. be the in-between. He'd have his clients and he'd find the best insurance yeah. policy and the cheapest and all of that. Sure. The in-between man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he, in 1979, I think it was, he was uh, retrenched. Okay. Yeah, there was one of those, um, not depression, but re little recessions. Sure. And he was retrenched from that job. And then after that, you know, because my mother wasn't working and he had two kids and, mm. oh, gosh. Seven, it's, yeah. oh, I mean, what, seven and 
Nine yeah, at yep, time. Yeah, seven and building. Yep, he became a milkman and then a postman for Australia Post. Amazing. And then, yeah, then he slowly, in the end, he was like a, a fleet manager okay. for Australia Post. Yeah, cool. Mm. I feel like the resilience of, yeah, that generation. And look, I still see it now, like what's happened in the last couple of years and people having to find new ways to work and various things with lockdowns. Like, Resilience in humans to, yeah, still bounce back is like, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And it was, it's not like everyone has different levels of it, but that's, yeah, very cool to hear that, yeah, you just, you know, kept at it. I'm sure having two young girls and a, a wife to support as well helps. helps yeah. That, so that's nice. I think he was. And, you know, it was that era that your great auntie Berenice okay. was migrating back to Australia with her husband, Ellen. Okay. And it was that era when my father was retrenched and they had promised to host them. Oh, wow. Yeah, they came and lived with us for so many months until Berenice and Ellen found their feet mm. and Dad was left without a job. Wow. Mm, so, no, yeah, I, I mean, look, things go around in circles, don't they? Yeah. I think we're heading to another very, very hard time mm. economically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's when people's, yeah, they, they test their resilience, I guess, yeah, and realise how resilient they are mm. and get by. Yeah. Yeah. How resourceful you are, yeah, how creative you can be in trying times. It's a true test of like a, a spirit, hey? That's so true. Yeah. Yes. So then growing up as a teenager, what were you, what were your interests? Did you enjoy school? Did you paint? What were you, what were you into? I don't think anybody really enjoyed school. I, I don't know whether that changes or not. <laughs> Probably not. The social aspect maybe, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know about all of the classes. Exactly. At, at, yeah. at times, it's, yeah. it's so rigid, isn't it? And if you don't necessarily fit in with that rigidity, and I think a lot of kids don't on some levels, you yeah. know, you never really love going. Mm. But um, I didn't mind. It. Um, I wasn't very good with art, as you say. Sure. I was, I, and this is what I have in common with your Nana as well. I was always a great reader. I love reading and literature. Yeah. But when I was growing up, my sister and I were both very much into dancing and stage. Yeah. I, you know, wasn't such a great dancer as she was, so I went more theatrical. I did a lot of drama. By the time I was 10, I was doing some amateur stage productions oh, cool. and, and I loved that world. Trained in a little bit of singing. Yeah. But I think, you know, acting, I was probably the strongest. Mm. Singing, I was, wasn't was too bad for the time. Yeah. Dancing, so so. Yeah. <laughs> I think all the dancing talent went to my sister. Yeah, sure. She still <laughs> does that today, right? She does, yes. Yeah, she's a performing artist. Amazing. And she always continued her dancing mm. on some level. Yeah. Beautiful. So whereas I, I think once... The, you know, once I went into that stage where I was married and, and Sandra, who you met, is my second husband. Yeah. He's not the dad, uh, the girl's dad. Sure. But by then, by the time kids come into life, it's very hard to keep up theatre. But I miss it. Mm. I miss it. Yeah. So, you know, and in that sort of era, I did some TV work, a little bit of TV work and things like that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, oh, I enjoyed it. You yeah. know, I loved it. With the theatre? Yeah, so I loved stage more, mm. but my sister and I were both in an acting agency probably by about 
yeah, 11, 12-ish. Oh, wow. So we both did a few bits and pieces. I probably had a bit more luck there. Yeah. Yeah, and funnily enough, it's interesting that we're talking together because last Sunday I was at a special reunion. It was a paid event and they were hunting up old cast members from a very successful show, mm. Grundy Productions, called Prisoner. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah, oh, this sorry. is really going way back. <laughs> yeah. But I had a really minor role a- as a one-off on yeah. that show and I couldn't believe it that they were looking for me because, I, you know, it was just one thing I did on a really happy day when I was 12. Wow. You know, yeah. And, um, I, you know, I attended and they had a panel of the old actors and, I'm, look, a lot of them are gone now. Mm. But some of the ones that are still, you know, alive and getting older yeah. were, you know, were interviewed. Wow. Like a, a group interviewed? cop. I did, but I they had me as a surprise guest. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I wasn't on the panel because it was uh, I was only a very minor role yeah. of, of one of the, you know, ongoing actors. They, mm. you know, relived their childhood and that was a flashback. Yeah, yeah. And I was that character. Oh, and yeah, yeah, and so it's funny. It's like this week mm. talking to you, and last week it's it's just bringing all my all the memories, all my past back. Yeah, there must be something. So, yeah. yeah, up in the my horoscope in the stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going back in time a bit at the moment. You know, so I did a few, a little bit of TV work like that, but yeah. I always saw it as an interest mm. when I was older and studying at university. I first of all did a Bachelor of Arts and then that sort of brought me into social work. Yeah. I was a social work a social worker for a good 10, 12 years yeah, right. before I went into natural therapies. Yeah. So, you know, during those years I kept up doing theatre, but as, as an interest I was never interested in taking it further sure. and, you know, trying to make my way. Yeah, yeah. It was just an interest. Nice. Yeah. I feel like you have to have those as as a human, you know, interests outside of just pure ways to to make money. That's right. <laughs> Keeps you sane, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, I think the the charm might have gone for me if I'd taken it too seriously. Mm. You know, we can't all have Kieran's luck. You know, your cousin Kieran. Oh no, it's else, Kieran. Ah, Kieran, yes, he's the one that's gone on much further than perhaps my sister as a performing artist, yeah, or as your auntie Christine as a singer. Yeah, right. Kieran is um, he went through um, NIDA, the you know professional arts school, yeah. which my mother always begged me to audition for. <laughs> Georgia said, no, 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 because I really don't want to take it that seriously. I don't want this to be my career. Yeah. But Kieran is, is successfully picking up roles in professional theatre and uh, a little bit on TV. Yeah, right. So you'll have to interview him next. Yeah, might have to. <laughs> so he must be like a second cousin or something because... He is. Yeah. He, he is the, he's the younger son of your dad and my cousin, Carolyn. <laughs> okay. Carolyn, yeah, I know mm. Carolyn. Cool. Yes, so there Youngest you go. Son. Youngest son. So how old's he then? So, oh, I don't roughly know. Yeah, 20s, roughly. 30s? Yeah, he'd be 20s. Okay. He'd be a few years younger than you. Okay, amazing. Yep. I'd love to touch on something you just mentioned there in terms of like the seriousness and taking things seriously, being a way to almost like kill the joy in yeah. in something to a, and it's nothing necessarily wrong with taking certain things seriously, but maybe there's a better word for 
I guess, approaching something with professionalism. Like I feel like I've approached this podcasting practice now with a level of professionalism, but it's not serious in the sense like I would never ask you to repeat something that I think you maybe worded poorly, which I've heard, you know, various people do. And like, there's different riffs and ways that people can approach us. Like, let's just have a conversation. Whatever comes out, comes out. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just go. But for you and yeah, your life, you talk about performing arts there and yeah, not wanting to take it seriously. Yeah. Just maybe share some more thoughts on that. Yes. I think if it doesn't sound too negative, anything to do with that, theatrical and performing world has a lot of ego in it. Mm. And, uh, you know, people, I guess, you know, to how can I explain this the best way? You look at someone that perhaps might have successfully made the, a career out of modelling, which, you know, is, is a lovely thing to do. I'm not putting anything down. But it's such a small part of you. But your whole, you know, self-esteem, I think, for a lot of people can rest on whether you make it in that world, whether you're getting a lot of work, you know, and I think it can really destroy people. Yeah. And and also, as you mentioned, it can take the fun out of it. Mm. And for me, I just loved being on stage and I didn't mind whether I was the best or not. But to go and take it seriously... You have to really be and feel the best yeah. to be able to get somewhere. And it, it is a life of, it would be a little bit of a life of ego for some. Yeah. Especially if you're really after that fame. Right. And you look at, you know, what does happen to a lot of people that that do become famous and often they have really hard lives mm. and they're often not happy people. Yeah. You know, and I, I didn't want that. I think ultimately, you know, uh, one of my major goals in life is to be happy and healthy. Yeah. You know, so I wanted to enjoy that at that that side of things and then just leave it, <laughs> you know, and, and come back to it as I wanted and not be under pressure. Yeah. You know, and, and, and judged, I guess, you know, people in the limelight, they're judged so much. Yeah. It's beautiful thoughts and I think that wisdom seemingly from such a young age, like you were 12, you said when you first sort of started on TV. Yes. Where do you think that came from? Like that knowingness that you you wanted, like you said, to be healthy and, and happy? Yes. Where do you reckon that came from? Well, two things. I think I had a really amazing time doing that TV work as a kid and I saw how expendable you are in that industry when you look around and you look at everyone and you see the thousands of hopeful people around, even kids, you know, and you think, oh, gosh, you know. And then I think I got braces a couple of years later and the agent said, oh, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. And you just see how... Yeah, like, you know, and then growing up, but you know, by the time I hit my late adolescence and early 20s and you're still a little bit in that world and, you know, and you see all these, you know, hopeful people mm. wasting their lives a little bit because you've got to always be around. You've got to always be hopeful for when your lucky break comes and they're all working as waiters and waitresses and I thought... No, that's not me. Yeah. There's so many amazing things to do with your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so if you're not one of those people that just falls into it and stays that way, yeah. Um, 
you know, it's nice. Okay, see you later, I said to my agent, and I never really went back to TV work. Yeah, sure. You know? I guess you're saying, yeah, it can be so, oh, what was the word? Almost like fleeting in the sense that, yeah, you're expendable. That was, I think, the word you used. That's exactly right. And imagine, you know, your whole life or what you even feel about yourself Um, resting on, you know, whether you get a, a new TV role or yeah. or an offer or something like that, yeah. you know, and, and that must be a real battle for for people with their self-esteem. Totally. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't want to go down. I thought, well, that's one battle I don't need in life because the other thing I think, that question you asked me, now I can't think what it was, about... Seriousness, saying things seriously. Yeah. Well, the other thing is I wasn't unwell at 12, but I never felt 100% well. And when, by the time I hit 19, 20, 21, which are the, you know, the best years of a young person's life out of pandemics, (laughs) (laughs) they're really important years. You know, you hit university if you study you collect your friends, you know, or you're embarking on your first job or you're travelling or something like that. I was actually very unwell. Mm. I was very sick. Really? Yes, I was in and out of hospital in those years. Oh, wow. You know, so it's funny how that that shapes you as a person. You you don't want to, you know, you don't want to waste your time. Mm. You want to be well and enjoy your life. And it was quite unusual to be that sick when I was that age, you know, that sort of illness most people face when they're, you know, middle-aged or older. Yeah, right. You know, so it was, yeah, very what? unusual experience. What, what was happened? wrong? You're going to yeah, ask if, me? If, if you don't mind sharing. No, no, because I think it has shaped me. It shaped what I do because leaving social work, I, you know, became more involved in, in natural therapies. Yep. And one of the things that shaped me was that experience. But I had an internal Deformity, if you like, which was never recognised because it was internal. But I had a very large colon. It was called adult megacolon, the health condition. Very rare, but basically the only thing that really made me well, uh, well, it saved my life, but it didn't make me well, was surgery. Mm. And they ended up, by the time I was 21, I had a a major operation and they removed my entire large bowel because it it was too large for my body. It was too large for any human being really. Um, And it just caused me continual digestive issues and, you know, adhesions and, and, and blockages, if you like. And it, it was quite frightening. It's quite frightening when you are that ill and you are in and out of hospital. And as I said, a fantastic surgeon and, you know, I went down a very conventional medical path beforehand though mm-hmm. and I always had an intuitive feel that, None of them were really going to help me. None of the gastroenterologists or well-meaning people were really going to help me and and they didn't. (laughs) So it was just a long process of realising there's nothing else to do here but surgery. Mm. And it did. It saved my life, uh, you know, but it it didn't improve the quality. I just really had to, at that age, start to understand my own body and it Mm. did take some years, you know, before I realised even, hey, 
Melinda, <laughs> this is it. You know, going to the doctor when you're sick, this, 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 there isn't an answer here. They don't have answers. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why I slowly became more involved in natural medicine. Yeah. And then, you know, and later on in life improved the quality of it. Yeah. You know, so I'm completely well, minus, minus an organ, <laughs> as I said here at age 50. Yeah. And, and in, the, in that process, just learnt a lot about healthy lifestyle and healthy diets, perhaps a little before, you know, they hit mainstream too. And it's yeah. good that they do hit mainstream. Yeah. And that people are starting to take responsibility for their health rather than just relying on, you know, the the medical system and then that's healthier mentally. For sure. As well. Yeah, yeah and there's not just one there's not just one way to to do it. There, yeah. there are other alternative practices, therapies, however you want to call it. There's there's you know, truth out there to be found. Well, that's right. Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. And there's never a one size fits all when it comes to health. Yeah. You know, um and our modern medicine is probably only 120 years old, really, yeah. you know. So I've always had an interest in medicines and therapies that go back hundreds of years, Yeah, yeah. you know, and um, and, and herbs as well, yeah, you know, right. and I can't seem to stop studying. So, <laughs> you know, I'm learning about herbs. I'm slowly doing naturopathy in the background at the moment. Amazing. I hope I finish it. Yeah, but it, I'm sure you will. It's very part time. Yeah. So, but I think it's just um, so much. You know, illness can be so frightening for people, mm. and I think when they feel like victims, it does not help them become well. Mm. I think when you know they're inspired to take control of it themselves to to find out a lot of you know information themselves to start to be proactive rather than. Mm go back, you know, to medical professionals that say, well, this is it. This is what's going to happen to you without any choice in their treatment. So true. Choice is so important. I feel like the choices we decide upon, you know, mentally starting, you know, with that choice, with that decision really can shape how you go. And that's not to say that you can't cure or can cure yourself just through thoughts. I mean, I feel like there's probably people who have out there, but I'm not, I'm not saying that, but yeah. it's almost like, yeah, it starts with a decision, with a choice. And you didn't say it directly there, but it's almost like a victim. If you're just believing that you're a victim and nothing can be done. And yeah, like this is the one path that the, the medical professionals in air quotes are saying, then you, you think that that's the only thing and then you can't affect it through whether it's diet or exercise or other therapies like you're mentioning here. I mean, you've got a few books we're sitting in your office here today, but you know, you're saying that you're, you're still studying now at age 50, like it's, yeah. it's great. And I feel like, you know, you should never stop learning and, and studying and reading and having that, you know, inquisitive mind. I agree. Yep. It's always good to be learning something, mm. you know, and if it's not something academic, then, you know, there's lots of different ways of learning. There is, like having conversations with people who've lived lives. Like doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So after your surgery then, when you were 21, yes, you mentioned like that's a that's a pivotal point in your in your life. You probably get told by those doctors or whoever you were sort of seeing at the time, this is 
the way to then recover after you've had this surgery? Was it your large bowel? Yes, my out? large bowel. So yep. what did they say, if you can remember, was the path to go down in terms of you know, living a healthier life and recovering from that? And then what did you ultimately decide to do? Yes. Well, they did give me good advice. You know, um, I mean, I was 21 though. So, you know, when you're that age, <laughs> you don't always follow it. You don't always have that maturity. Sure. But definitely dehydration was always going to be something I had to be very careful of. And I'm still very careful now to this day because your large bowel will recycle so much water and if you're minus one, you you don't get that recycling happening. If you drink something, it'll, you know, hit your kidneys fairly quickly and go out the other, well, go out that way, exit that way. So in the summer and the heat, I have to be very careful. The other thing is they sort of suggested I see a dietitian, and I probably should have, but I didn't, (laughs) just to help me get the diet right, you know. But I wonder, you know, I wonder because it's such an unusual thing to have done. I do wonder about the advice they would have given me. I I really had to learn by trial and error Mm. what sort of foods were going to, yeah, go down well Mm. and which weren't. So, and I did, I probably learnt the hard way, but now I I would have definitely gone to see a naturopath and a nutritionist for sure. If I was 21 (laughs) and I had the knowledge I have now and how much they can help people. But funnily enough, in that, you know, those years, I did have problems with scar tissue because when you're operated on, your body, you know, sometimes doesn't heal in internally as well as it should. And that's when scar tissue becomes a problem because you haven't quite been patched up. You know, externally you might have with your stitches, Mm. but internally you may still have some dramas going on and it hasn't healed properly. So scar tissue can start growing out of control, a little bit like a cancer might. You know, scar tissue doesn't have any genetics inside. You know, it's not following the the laws of the body, whereas all the other cells in your body have got, you know, genes and chromosomes that's telling it what to do and when to stop growing and how big to get and all of that and how to grow. But scar tissue doesn't have those instructions. Yeah. So scar tissue was continued to be a big problem for me mm. and and very painful because it it wrapped around my small colon mm. and started to cause dramas there. So how do you how do you navigate that? Yeah. Well I I had to, well I just ended up in terrible pain all of a sudden and there goes you know for two operation. Oh, wow. But after that I was very lucky to stumble upon a very good um Chinese doctor. And I had a series of acupuncture with the aim to stop the and control the scar tissue and heal internally properly. Yep. So I believe he did help me heal internally. Mm. And since then, and that was a good 17 years ago, wow. I haven't had any problems. Wow. Yeah. So you dealt with that all. for like... What, quick math, 12-odd years you were dealing with those internal yeah. problems? Wow. Yeah, on and off. You know, it would it would just all of a sudden strike. It might yeah. be fine for a couple of years with nothing oh, and wow. then it would strike again and come back. Do and... you remember anything that triggered it particularly or was it quite random? I it, Stress, definitely stress. stress does. I mean, they're so true, you know, when 
and I think you brought it up before, about thought mm. producing illness, yep. you know, because it produces a certain energy. Yeah. Um, and it creates, you know, um, upheaval in our bodies. Our minds can be so strong, our thoughts. So positive thoughts, you know, positive um, actions and, and yeah. things like that can sort of can can make people well mm. too. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I agree. I've been journaling now consistently for probably the past nine weeks. Every morning I wake up. Funnily enough, I actually haven't journaled yet this morning because I woke up and headed straight to the beach before coming here, but I'll do it later today. But yeah, just like getting something out of your head, but any of that sort of practice where, yeah, it's positive thoughts or like setting intentions for a day or for an event if you're going into, I think it really helps. And it's something I'm yeah learning more about at the moment. Yeah. That energy flows, wavelengths, all of that sort of thing. It's so important. It's very true. Yeah, Like you're yes. not, you're not your thoughts, but your thoughts are so powerful and they can dictate, you know, your life. But it's not to say that if you have a, a bad thought or you're having thoughts of, you know, anything that's maybe not productive, again, in air quotes, you know, it's okay to sit with that, but then figure out a way of, okay, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to create in your life? Well, how can you then have thoughts that, that bring that about? And I think like manifestation is so, so key to that. Yep. Yep. I so agree, you know, and, um, I guess people that think alternatively, in terms of health to, to mainstream are realizing more and more how thoughts eventually will create illness. And exactly as you say, the sorts of energy, you know, if, if we are in an environment of negative energy and we're also creating that negative energy, eventually it will lead to health problems. Yeah. And if you look at how Chinese medicine works. It's all about energy. It's all about energy flow, yes. And when people develop a physical health condition, it's because the energy flowing through a certain area of their body has been so stagnated for so long and perhaps caught up in the negative and drawing more negatives, it eventually, you know, turns into some like a more permanent physical health condition. Once it hits that stage, it is very hard to become well. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so and same with the, with the positive thoughts and the affirmations, as you said, it, you know, creates a, a positive space and it helps clear blockages that your mind might have, you know, yeah. helped produce at some stage and it, then it helps keep you physically well yeah. because you've got good positive energy flowing and you're attracting Amazing. good things to yourself through the universe as well. Yeah. It's interesting. Are you then into like numerology? I mean, I think you mentioned astrology before. I respect numerology, but I've never actually studied studied sure. it. But I think a lot of people that follow numerology just always talk about how accurate it is. Yeah, you know. But my main therapies that I've stole, uh, this, I've stolen, <laughs> studied, <laughs> studied, <laughs> stolen. <laughs> I think it's a bit of stealing as well. Still like an artist. It's all good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I started off in that, um, uh, I guess, wavelength of Reiki and, and, and things like that 
Then I studied reflexology, Saw which a few is of the books up there, yeah. Yes, which is like a it's it's like an an easier version of acupuncture, really, yeah. because we work with all the same theories, yep. but it's mainly uh, lots of points on the feet yep. and face and hands. Yeah. And, and ears, actually, yeah, right. that have a connection to different areas of the body. So, you know, you can start to kick health conditions and it's really great health, you know, illness preventative reflexology. It's like a mini acupuncture session. But it usually feels a lot nicer. There's no needles involved. Okay. <laughs> so I started to start, I studied that with massage. Yeah. And then I, around about that time too, I also trained in... Uh, theta, theta healing or okay. theta counselling, which yeah. is an intuitive counselling yeah. where I put myself and I use the theta brainwaves. Yeah. So I'm trying to race through this in case it's not interesting. Oh, it's definitely interesting. Please don't race through it. <laughs> okay. share, share the detail. Well, that's what I love the most yeah. out of all my therapies. So probably reflexology is not far behind. I do love giving a, a good treatment like that and seeing people relax and really enjoy it. Yeah. But theta, theta counselling, I bring in counselling, but I'm in a very pure energy state. I put it's a, it's a, it is a technique. Yep. I put myself in the theta brainwave, yep. and that's the same brainwave that a hypnotist will use okay. on a patient that's yep. undergoing hypnotism. But at the same time, I'm perfectly conscious, so I'm able to keep on yeah. working through a session with somebody. So I will talk to them yeah. and there's, you know, give them a bit of supportive counselling and find out, you know, what's happening for them in their life yeah. and on many different levels. But we, you know, do often stick with emotional things. You know, it, it, they might be stuck in an emotion. They might have had past life, yeah. things that have affected them. There might be a genetic or soul soul root things going on, on, on very deep levels that they can't kick beliefs about themselves, mm. the negative beliefs that we can start collecting wow. and that become our narrative yeah. as we go on in life. A lot of people have a lot of negative beliefs and it stops them from moving on through their life the way they'd like to. Yeah. That's a very common reason why someone might book in for that therapy. Oh, get rid right. of limiting beliefs and those sorts exactly. of things. Exactly, and yeah. switch them to the positive. And it can be very, very effective, very, very strong way of getting going down very deep mm. and, and getting rid of it. Yeah. So that person brings in their hope and their energy and I bring in mine and we've got the universe above us. Yep. And it's tapping into that universal energy that we're doing. And people can really kick things they never thought they would. Yeah. Well. You know, that they've actually been stuck in for a very long time. Yeah. You know, so, and aside from that, I do do space clearing as well. Mm -hmm. So, and that is sort of uh, joins in with theta healing as well. Yeah. Because you're working with energy and I see energy, you know, around people's body or inside it. Yeah. And I lift it. And it's almost like creating a nice clean space. Yeah. You know, and then that can extend to their environments. So sometimes I'll go and do a space and house clearing yeah, right. and just get rid of any energy that perhaps, you know, isn't helping people, yeah. you know, in, in their lives. And yes, yeah, a spiritual presence. I'll 
sometimes deal with that as well. Yeah, wow. Yeah, like a ghostbuster sort of. <laughs> but you know that yeah, you real got a cold Melinda Watts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that real poltergeist phenomenon is so unusual. Yeah. I think I've only ever come across two not so nice moments. Yeah, with really quite a negative presence. Yeah, around it's people. In- interesting you say that. Mm. When I was younger, we lived in. Vermont South, so where you would have grown up. Yeah. With Dad, we lived on uh, House's Tullumbar Circuit. It's actually near where Neighbours is filmed. No Neighbours just <laughs> yeah. recently, but. The other side of Vermont South. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just sort of in the pocket near like this baseball diamond in, in Ogersoft Bellwood Highway there. For anyone who knows the inner eastern or eastern suburbs of Victoria, very niche. Anyway, so this house that we lived in backed onto that big park and the house was haunted, 100% haunted. Mm-hmm. Like I've never had more nightmares in a house than that one. I remember we had a friend over at one point. He was maybe 12 or maybe even a little bit younger and he had a Russian exchange student was, that was with him. And we'd hung out with this guy before. He he uh, didn't speak the greatest English, but we could we could you know get along well, and we would explain things. So there was a level of understanding there. But in this house, one night we played the game, the children's game, Murder in the Dark. Have you heard of that? Yes, yeah. I think we've all grown up. Right? Yeah. So Murder in the Dark, like you put, you know, if anyone who's never played it in like a little hat or a cup or something, you rip up, you know, little pieces of paper. And if there's four four kids playing, you might go, one person's the murderer, one person's the police officer, and then two other people like civilians or something. That Anyone can be murdered, but the police's, police officer's job is to catch the murderer, find out which one, but the murderer's job is to kill everyone. And you just do it with like a pinch on the shoulder. But in this house, I was the murderer in this one game and I went up to pinch the Russian boy I think his name was Sasha or something. He's coming to me now. But I pinched him on the shoulder and he understood the game. We'd already played it a few times and he'd played various roles. And when I pinched him on the shoulder this one time, it was like a, a switch went off and he just started like, not like trying to kill me, but like full on like going hard at like trying to get me off. And it was almost like, I, I recall it being like, it was just an like a, almost a weird evil presence in that house. And he was overcome by it. Some other things that happened, my dad recalled one time I was standing in his bed with a knife. Just, uh, I was quite young. I mean, gosh, I've never heard all of these. Crazy. Movies. Yeah, we had like trick-or-treats, like Halloween things there. And just, yeah, things went really well. Dad proposed to Helen there on the kitchen floor. So you can see how <laughs> whack a place is for him to propose. Anyway, it was very, very interesting house. So you, yeah, talking about that before, like, clearing the energy of spaces and all of that. I feel like to some people it probably sounds, yeah, a bit woo-woo. I mean, you mentioned the Ghostbusters almost in jest before, but this stuff exists. Yeah, like these energies. Does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For the most, you know, for the most part when people feel there's a presence in their home or a couple of presences perhaps, usually they're lost souls mm. that have died and perhaps wandered into the space or perhaps have already been connected to the space and they're in another dimension and, you know, they haven't had the energy 
to be able to cross over mm. or perhaps there's, they've made some pact not to, which is, you know, where it gets a bit hazy because, you know, we all still are guessing these things really, but yeah. and they don't mean any harm, but they're, they're just there. Yeah. However, there can be, you know, very negative ones as well and people that have lost souls that, didn't cross over perhaps because, you know, we might say they should have gone to hell or or something like that. You know, they, they just weren't able to. Yeah. And they can, you know, especially if it, it's, you know, an area that's ha- had a lot of suffering or might have been, they might have been part of a criminal, mm. that you know, their death has you yep. know, been a result of a criminal action or perhaps they've done something terrible. They don't find the the ability to cross over to where we all need to go so they hang around and they would probably be the negative ones or yeah. the, the, that negative presence. Yeah. Yeah. When you say cross over, could you explain that a bit more? Yeah. What does that mean exactly? Well, I think a lot of people would just call it heaven. Mm. So go back to the universe, go back to where our souls originated, you know. That's what I mean by crossover. So if you do watch some of those new shows, which I find just very interesting to watch. What's that one? Stranger Things. Like, like strange. Amazing things. show. So well made. But yeah, the idea of like there being other dimensions. Of another dimension, although I really hope we don't cross over to what the upside down. Be. Yeah, the upside <laughs> down. I think that looks like a very nice dimension at all. Uh, <laughs> and I, for one, don't believe that we do. I think we cross over, you know, our souls go back to the original source mm. because, you know, some people might like to call you know, the universe God, some people don't. Some yep. people like to think of it as the universe because yep. where all creation came from. Some people call it the source, yeah, as in it's source. O-U-R-C-E. Yeah, not S-A-U. No, not, not tomato sauce. Tomato sauce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sauce. Yeah, and it's where our souls originated. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at the very ancient Buddhist religion or, or spirituality, mm. you know, they, they do believe uh, that we have so many lives and, and we, we keep coming back again until we learn what we need to learn. Wow. And then, you know, we obviously stay with source or, you know, or the universe or God. Wow. After that. I didn't know that about Buddhism. That's so interesting. Yeah. We keep coming back until we keep we coming back, yeah, you I, know. I feel like I've lived before, but, yeah, obviously you haven't. If that's if that's true and that resonates with me here in this moment, yeah, I feel I like I do. Yeah, I do, and I've had some past life meditations, and when I did them, I was really challenged because I was brought up Catholic, mm. and the Catholic religion doesn't really talk about the possibility of more lives. Really, it it just you know it almost assumes all the our interpretation. I think of the Bible is there's just one life. Yeah. You know, you leave, you you're born, you live, and you die, and you, and you, yes, you do go back to God in in that Christianity, you know, those beliefs around Christianity, but not several lives. Yes. So I was really challenged, but I had some very, very extreme past life meditations when right. I was learning and and picking up Reiki and things like that, and it was just too. Real, yeah. you know, yeah, it was too real for me to continue to believe, oh, we only have one life. Yeah. That changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, wow. How old were you when that happened? Oh, that would have been about in my late 20s. Yep. Yeah. Pretty formative sort of time. Yeah, about 26, 27. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. 
So, yeah, and that that particular meditation, the first one I did, explained why I was born with adult megacolon. I just went straight there. Wow. Yes, it did. No, I won't bore you because it's probably not a very interesting story, but basically I was wounded in that lifetime and I was maimed. It didn't, you know, I, I wasn't killed, but I was wounded physically by another person. And when I was born into this lifetime, that's, you know, this developed in utero, my illness. Wow. Yeah. So this is very interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. Yeah. Not boring at all. No. Thank you you so much for sharing those, like, pretty intimate sort of stuff. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So it's very, well, I think these things happen to you for a reason. And I was obviously meant to try, and even my illness, when people search for the reasons, well, why would someone have to go through this or why do terrible things happen or why do people get sick and suffer the way they do? There's so much learning in that. Yeah. And I think my particular learning was to see another side to health as well. And that's what I dedicate my life to with my particular therapies. I like to be walk alongside people, if you like, through their own health journey and, um, well, what's the word, not so much inspire them but to, well, support them to find their own answers and take responsibility and grow and become well. And um, that's all, you know, what I do these days now that I've hit 50. <laughs> Amazing. That's a beautiful purpose to have. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. That's okay. That's uh, a very deep. I mean, I interviewed a guy recently and we went for an hour and 40 minutes and he normally, he's a podcaster, 20 minute episodes. Uh, he's actually just came out this past Thursday, Pete Shepard. But he, he sort of said to me after we finished, he's like, yeah, like conversation podcasts, don't they say they begin after 40 minutes? Like you properly get into it. And here we are talking about some pretty deep things. And we've been going for an hour already. Oh gosh. Which yeah. is amazing. So might have to so edit. Thank you. No, no, I'm not editing any, <laughs> anything out. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's okay. If we put the spiritual side of things sort of there for one moment, I would love to talk to you about your present life, the tangible things now yes. that uh, I've, I've walked in today and, and I've met Sandro, your husband, yes. before, but it was just nice to briefly chat with him before. But I believe there's a bit of an interesting story. I mean, you touched on it before that he's not the father of your two girls no. who are here today. I met one of the girls, a younger one, Bella. Yes. Just before she came down the stairs. The other one's upstairs somewhere, I assume. But yes. yeah, could you maybe share with me how you and Sandro met? And yeah, I guess as much as you're willing to share about that side of life. Absolutely. It's one of my nicest stories, I think. And everyone's always very interested to to hear our, our story. Yeah. Before I became ill, after I finished my VCE, my parents sent me on exchange to Argentina and I lived there for a whole year. And yeah, it was an amazing experience, such a happy year, met so many amazing people. I learned to speak Spanish fluently, which is always a good thing, I think, to be bilingual when you're an Anglo-Aussie, because most of us don't really learn languages properly at school, do we? And Spanish as well is so well-spoken around the world. Like I feel like it's, yeah, a lot of people speak it. It is. It's spoken in a lot of countries. That's a very good point, even though it's not taught 
at school, it's still spoken, even in, you know, a lot of African nations and okay. that a lot of them understand Spanish and speak a bit of Spanish. But anyway, getting back to the year, yeah. I was 17 and I lived with a host family, as you do, and I met Sandro at school. Mm. He was two and a half years younger than me. Wow. I know. So we, we just became the best of friends. Nothing romantic back then. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see him that way. Sure. I can't speak for him because <laughs> he was looking, you know, in an older girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I that was. Could be like, yeah. And I was very interesting because, you know, it's not, it was a little town in the south called Rio Gallegos. That's where I got sent to. Not a tourist place at all. Yeah. So seeing foreigners, especially back then, it was 1990, mm. was a real novelty. So any exchange students or anyone just passing through was so interesting. Yeah. So I was very interesting. I felt, actually, I felt like I'd gone down that whole fame and fortune going, you know, down that TV. Yeah, I couldn't avoid it. Yeah, like I couldn't avoid it for a little bit because I was, you know, you know, you just stared at the whole time. Yeah, it obviously looked different. Yeah. To most people there. So. Yeah, a bit fairer than the majority. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of, you know, fair Argentinians in that particular town. They weren't really blondes, sure. as, as so to speak, you know. Yeah. And with the cold weather and everything, that just probably would have made people even <laughs> less blonde. You know, blonde hair tends to it was quite react cold there. to sun. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, because you're really approaching Antarctica. Oh, it's quite south in yeah, Argentina. Because Argentina not, is quite a long yes. country, right? Big stretch in South America there. Oh, aren't you good with your geography? Yep, yep. So it's all like... Yeah. So, yeah, I've studied, but did like geography going up. So, yeah, just for anyone who doesn't know, yeah, Argentina. And you're about two or three dry, uh, hours drive away from some glaciers. So it's very cold there for most of the year. Yeah. But at school, you know, when I met Sandro... It was in the very first weeks where, yes, I was a novelty, perhaps it had worn off a little bit with my year level, that I, yeah, great, yeah, that's great, there's the exchange student. I was still, you know, struggling to speak Spanish and didn't hear English pretty much all year. No, you know, they're like we are with languages and, you know, they pick up some swear words and things like that, but none of them really spoke English. So it's the best way to learn a language, I tell you what. So I was wandering a little bit in in the school lunchtime and I found my way to the library, which is always a source of comfort for me because I always loved reading, I was always a great reader. And I sat at a table and then I think, you know, the students from two years down, because it's very little school, so there wasn't a lot in each year level. There was probably only about 40 or 50 kids per year level. All of them came through and you looked in at the library and then, of course, we're all just staring at me and, you know, giggling a little bit and I didn't know which way to look, you know, how you that moment when you wish that the floor would open and you'd sink down. Yeah. I felt so, yeah, embarrassed, I guess, and awkward. <laughs> anyway, I could tell he was nervous, but that's when Sandro came forward and thought he'd try out his 
you know, very few basic words of English and came and struck a conversation with me and I just looked at him like he was an angel because I thought, I'm being rescued from this really awkward situation. And then we just became very, you know, good friends and even though he's a few years younger than me and I did a little bit of drama in Argentina as well because, yeah, obviously just that that wasn't going to go from my mind. It was very hard, of course, when, you know, your Spanish is very basic. Yeah, so we did a few things together and we never, we never really forgot each other. Now, this is back in 1990, really. 1990, we didn't have technology. We yep. still, I think, might even have been receiving telexes between sure. nations. That's how they would have communicated back then. Yep. And, of, and the only other way would have been phone calls and letters. Yep. So mail would take four weeks wow. to get through to you, especially in Argentina if someone didn't, you know, decide they liked the brightly coloured stamp and steal it and then, you know, your mail would never arrive, you know. <laughs> you never knew whether someone was getting your mail for weeks or until, you know, they answered you. Yep. So letter writing and very expensive phone calls were the only ways people could communicate back then. What a patient society that must have been. It, eh? it was. Now it's just so impatient. You've got send people a message and there's read receipts, all those things. How would how could people have lived in that age, I, I imagine, That's from, exactly from this day and age? Right. That's exactly right. And most people in Argentina, I mean, it's a second world country. They're not as wealthy as Australia. You know, and they, you know, in that town, most people lived quite comfortably, but in a very humble, basic way. Yeah. So most people didn't have phones. Yeah. You know, they didn't even have telephones really back then. So they've jumped you know, miles ahead like the whole rest of the world now that we're in a digital age. But back then that's how you communicated. So after so many years, we did lose touch, you know. And if you think you've got a little directory, a handwritten directory with everyone's names and numbers, I can't tell you how many times all my little old addresses from all the amazing people that I, you know, developed friendships with in that year you know, how many times I lost addresses and things and I just have to hope that they they wrote to me. So I, over yeah, over so many years we did lose lose contact, Sandra yeah, and I. Yeah. 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 But when I separated from my girl's father and that was after was after a while, we were married, I think, eleven, twelve ish years. Yep. So I was, you know, as all marriages are when if they break down and is quite painful yeah. and I probably wasn't in a good state but that's when I first got a Facebook account I was a little bit slower than many other people I think it was 2011 yeah. or 2012 and yeah, as my marriage was coming to an end I was looking to the past a little bit you mm. know and re-establishing friendships that I'd sort of, you know, wandered away from. And, of course, one of the first people from Argentina I looked out for was was Sandro. Wow. And we, we reconnected. And he said, where have you been? You know, I've been trying to search for you for years. You know, he's a bit more technological than me, so he'd obviously had a Facebook account longer than me. Where is she? Yeah, he said, it's funny, but, you know, a few months ago I really just, I just decided to, to get rid of all the old connections we had because I, you know, just exhausted every attempt to find you, you know, and, you know, being a 
a, a Latin man. They're a lot more different to Australian men. He very quickly came out with it and said, look, I've never forgotten you. And I've, you know, I was 14 or 15, but I fell in love with you at that age. And I, I've never, I've never forgotten you. He'd had other relationships, of course, but they didn't feel quite right. And he said, I just want to tell you that I am in love with you and I love you and I of course I understand you're not expecting to hear that but I didn't want to you know I didn't want to lose touch with you or just go through my life and and die without having said that. Wow. And they that happened. Cry. Yeah, I know it was a beautiful thing to hear. <laughs> you know, um and I was really taken aback initially because my beautiful little friend that I I did love in a more platonic way. I thought, oh, what's he going to say? Because I can't tell him I have been in love with him. He was, you know, a really young boy. I was, you know, mature by then, 17 or 18. No, I haven't been in love with him. I know that. But it's funny, I, you know, we, you know, really hit it off again. And for so many years, yeah, we did. We formed a relationship online, wow. which has become the norm now, I think. It's how a lot of people meet. Yeah. And I was already had been planning a, a trip back to Argentina to just revisit everything even before we connected. So, you know, we did see each other in that initial 12 months. But after that, you know, until we married, we had some... Yeah, as as much as a, a year and a half apart where we just reconnect on technology every day, Yeah, which we're lucky in that sense. You know, it was Skype back then. Yeah. Skype was the big thing to have, a Skype account. No, no Zooms, early adopters of the Skype no. video call. Yeah, it was on <laughs> Skype and there wasn't FaceTime or anything. So oh, well, it just shows messaging. the show. Yeah, messaging, yeah. messages, emails, of course, and Skype. Skype, you could look at each other, you know, on on a camera and reconnect and it was free, you know, whereas phone calls, yeah, even now I think just become, even now it's pricey to call manually on a phone overseas. Yeah. Wow, what a story. Yep. And then I guess we found a way. The girls were, Bella was only two and Abby was, five and just starting primary school when Sandro made it out here and spent his holidays. And, but, you know, I mean, it had its challenges because we didn't have a normal courtship. So, you know, I I feel very fortunate now to have, you know, um, the girls and Sandra have such a a really nice relationship together as, as stepdad and 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 stepkids because he wasn't able to be here all the time and he, you know that there could be another year apart and when your girls are two or five that's a long time yeah but what we decided to do is because immigration's such a um it's so hard now to to get people through immigration no. we decided I actually managed to find some people to live in in this house here so we've always been in this house together and just take care of the rent, I guess. Yep. Uh, well, not rent, the mortgage, yep. but they paid rent. And then the girls and I went to Argentina for six months when yeah. I know Bella was kinder age and Abby was seven yeah. and we worked through all the paperwork, all the Australian, you know, immigration <laughs> paperwork and put in an application 
And then I had to come home before that was processed because I don't know how long the wait is now, but in those days it, it, would, it was a good year to year and a half before you heard anything. And we just had to wait and hope we were lucky. And then, yes, we were. For, yes, very fortunately, a, a day before our first year wedding anniversary, Sandro got notified that he, you know, he, he was approved for a temporary uh, visa here. Wow, what incredible yeah, Temporary timing. partner visa, I think it's yeah. called, yeah. Incredible timing. Yes, it was. Yeah, so that's pretty much what happened in a nutshell. And now we've been married, well, that we were married in 2014. So, yeah, it's our eight years. Eight years. This year. Yeah. Yeah. And the things we do for love. Eh? I know. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly, you know, stops you from taking your relationship for granted when you've had that battle. Because when we both loved each other, we didn't know whether there was a way through immigration. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, there's always sacrifices, as Sandra has. His family is just beautiful. And I was very attached to them as well. And they've known me on and off, of course, all all these years. But he left, you know, a very successful career, some beautiful friendships and his family. Mm to come here um, in early 40s and start to learn English from scratch and get by in our society. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our love for you then. Yes, I'm very lucky. Yeah, so is he. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) thank you. You're both both very lucky. I mean, I'd I'd love to know when he initially said that to you, I'm guessing via Facebook, Yeah. uh, that he was in love with you or like... Do you remember what he what he said? He did he say was he still that he was still in love with you? Yes, he did. Wow. And he said, you know, in English words, I guess the best translation would be, I, you know, I'm not trying to put you on the spot or under pressure or make you feel uncomfortable, but I really did. I just didn't want to go through the rest of my life without, you know, he'd had, as I mentioned, he'd had some relationships, and I guess there you go, timing. Always has to be a, a, a figure of any relationship. So it was timing, hey? just coming out of a very, yeah, negative one that, um, yeah, that had brought him a lot of pain and sorrow and he was, you know, healing from that and it was the timing I, you know, got in touch and it's <gasps> Oh, my goodness, you know. Universe. <laughs> Universe doing its thing. Yes. Energy, wavelengths, all of that. It's crazy. Yes. So. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, because I had only just ended my marriage and same with him, you know, we were still had that beautiful platonic friendship, but it did. It's it's amazing when someone says that to you and you know who that person is, you know their integrity You've known them as, you know, perhaps not kids, but very young adolescents, and yeah. you know what their values are too. Yeah. You know their soul. I guess how easy it is to very slowly, oh, oh, sorry, not very slowly, but very quickly fall in love, whereas normally it would have been, you know, a much slower progress, I suppose, especially because they're a little bit older. You know, and life, I think, does get in the way of a lot of people's relationships, especially when they meet and they're older and. There's so much, you know, going on in people's lives. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the technology, we didn't have, we were a lot more patient, but I think life was slower paced. Yeah. And we weren't expecting so much of ourselves back then as to what 
it is now yeah. where everything, you know, the technology's made everything very fast paced and put people under more pressure and perhaps they feel they have less time. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually hard to form a relationship under those circumstances, isn't it? Yeah, less time. And I feel like people jump into bed with each other so much quicker these days than maybe it, maybe yeah. they should. Yeah. And yeah, that might be a controversial topic or, or things to say, but it's like, yeah, you, you touched on it, getting to know someone's values and getting to understand who they are as a person. And, and it's important to know who you are so that it aligns, right? That's true, and, yes. And yeah, part of, you know, having family is, you know, being attracted to that person physically, but more so like it has to be on an emotional level. It has to be really loving that person for who they are, how they think. And it seems like, you know, you guys grew up and you, you mentioned, you know, platonic friendship for that one year when you were in Argentina, when you were a young girl. And he always had those those feelings. But it's very interesting as well, like wanting to communicate that thought that he, he said he didn't want to hold on to that, didn't want to die with that. That's... It's quite like brave, like yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, and that's where there's a difference of culture too. I think, I think in our culture, coming back to that, I mean, ego can be a good thing too. Don't get me wrong. Ego, you know, inspires people. It pushes them along. It gives them, you know, perhaps determination and perseverance. <laughs> but you know, I think we do have a lot more ego in our culture when it comes to relationships. Mm you know, uh, compared to others in, in different, in different cultures. And in Argentina, no one has any shame in saying or admitting love for another person, even if it doesn't go anywhere, you know, even if it's just an admiration, you know, whereas in our culture, I think a lot of people don't want, yeah, there's a fear there of, of rejection and feeling stupid. You know, think of how many people miss opportunities perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. developing a relationship or even a friendship with someone by feeling a bit silly, you know, or, or not wanting to appear foolish. Yeah. But very, very different culture. I like that culture more. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I felt very at home in Argentina. Yeah. You know, in that year in 1990, I really culturally, and I was young, so a bit more malleable when you're young, I really, you know, yeah, developed a, a reasonably fluent proficiency in Spanish and really loved the lifestyle. And the lifestyle is so much more beautiful and relaxed. I mean, they still have the siesta. Mm. Everyone comes home for a hot lunch and whether you go and have a siesta or you just rest, everything closes up until four in the afternoon and then people go back to work, the shop's open and the day is longer and you feel like you rush through it less and you've got more time and you have that rest in the middle of the day. Wow. And it keeps you going, so you get yeah, a bit, bit better quality of life, I think. Yeah, sounds like yeah. probably more connection. Like if you go home for a hot lunch, like you get to, you know, see your family, your friends, whatever it may be. Yep. Yeah, it's that's what life's about, right? That it connection is. and 
yeah, the, the fast paced society. I mean, you talk about it with like the relationships now building. Yeah. A lot of people meet on, on dating apps online and that's fine. Like dad, yeah. my brother, he's him and his partner. Um, they met online. I went to a wedding last year. They met online. Like, and it is the way of the world now. It is much smaller and, and much quicker, but it's the norm. It's become the norm. It's a norm, but I guess developing those deeper connections. Yeah. Sometimes it does take time in a, in a slower paced environment where, I don't know, maybe you feel like, yeah, you're not rushed. You're able to build that deeper bond, you know? Yes. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And I think it, that can be very positive because as you brought up before, yeah, people often start their relationships these days by jumping to bed straight away, Yeah, you know, and I think they haven't had a chance to really know, well, you know, you, well, okay, if it's a one night fling or whatever, that's fine. If it's a random thing, that's fine. But a lot of people are hoping perhaps deep down for something more yeah. and you don't know anything about that person's values, their beliefs, you know, who they are. Yeah, it's just a primal attraction at that point. And yeah, yeah, and then it can very quickly, I think, fizzle out. Plus you miss that beautiful and it's almost completely gone now, but you miss those beautiful years of courtship. Mm. I think it's almost completely gone. Yeah, years of courtship. Yeah, I've never even heard that phrase. Yeah, you know, that beautiful, okay, I'm going to come and pick you up and take you out for dinner, you know, from the male point of view, as it was back, yeah, a little bit more still back then. I went out on some dates and I, you know, was collected when I was 17 <laughs> or 18. Yeah, collected, you know, if, if he wasn't driving by his parents. <laughs> and, you know, we'd go out that way. Yeah, and there'd be much more of that, you know, gentlemanly, sh chivalrous sort of behaviour going on. It's, you know, and it was, it was going then. Mm. So it's almost completely gone now. And I think when people, you know, rush into relationships like that and they don't really know each other, that that's a downside because there's disappointment in that. Yeah. But there's also they miss out on that beautiful courtship period, you know, where there is romance and. And red roses, or however you, however yeah. you want to see it, and perhaps even a romantic proposal if they're going to go about things traditionally. Yeah, not on a floor of the kitchen in in the haunted house like my dad. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I never heard that story. Yeah, yeah, amazing story. Very funny. But no, that's very lovely. And you're right. It's it's a quicker society these days, and yeah, those things aren't. I feel like. The, the rise in like the the equality in terms of male and female and like almost like the feminism movement has sort of killed that sort of thing. Like yeah. for me, a young man, like I'm 29, as I mentioned, but even when I was growing up, I feel like I was on the cusp of it really like flipping in things like if you're on a bus or, you know, train, public transport, whatever it might be, holding a door open, someone giving a seat, it was looked at like I'd never really got any backlash, but I've definitely sensed since, like, yeah, offering a seat to a woman or opening the door, like, and, and certain people saying, oh, I can open the door myself. Mm. You know, it sort of puts men on the back foot. I think a lot you don't of want men, to offend. A lot of right? men are too frightened yeah. to do it because every now and again you'll get some angry, <laughs> unhappy woman, I suppose, yeah. that turns around and says, you know, Gives Stop you it, verbal, you're being sexist. A verbal whack, yeah. Yeah, so all of that, you know, beautiful, you know, romance is sort of, and the courting has sort of gone, yeah. I think, from, and then, you know, I guess on the other hand, for young people, there's there's less to do. 
If you're not going and, and, you know, asking somebody out and whining and dining them, you know, there's less to do in that adolescent, young, adult, you know, period of time, which is when I think that that mainly happened. Yeah. Well, I feel there's so yeah. much to do, yeah, beyond necessarily whining dining. If you're in your, you know, teens or early 20s, yeah, you don't have to be doing that. But it's, yeah, just, you know, deeper things and, yeah, just jumping into bed or getting drunk and doing these things, which it seems like it's very morally accepted by society right now. And don't get me wrong, like, I, I've been a part of that world. Like, it's only really been in the last 12 to 18 months where I've, made a conscious effort to remove myself and like a lot of what's happened in the past few years with the pandemic has for me opened my eyes to how yeah a lot of these things are I feel like controlling society yeah like the the acceptance of pornography is as a thing where yeah, I mean, it's not accept, accepted in a sense, but it almost is like, it seems like every guy and girl of an age, you know, watches porn. And yeah. It just objectifies relationships. It, it makes sort of the sexual act and like the rearing of children more a performative thing than like what it's supposed to be in terms of bringing forward the next generation. And yeah, it's, it's fucked. Like I've stopped watching, I haven't watched porn now for 18 months and like the, the thing that it does for me or has done for me in the mind is like I've started dreaming about having a family of my own. Yeah. I never used to do that from like I think the first time I watched porn was when I was like 16, Yeah, which is, is actually late for a lot of people. I think it might be for now. I really I have an awful idea that my girls have seen some awful things yeah. on the net because it just, yeah, there's no getting keeping kids away. It's so hard, right? But their like, innocence goes a lot quicker and... Yeah. Well, the first time I saw anything was in high school in the back row of just a class when a kid on the laptop just watching something. And it's like that sort of idea that it's so accepted, oh, everyone does this, whatever it may be. And, yeah, it it's it messes with with people, I think, and it makes you, yeah, feel, I think we were talking a bit about it before in, in a different aspect in terms of like being expendable Mm. like relationships shouldn't be you know you should build a deeper connection you maybe should wait a few times i have this older lady who's a a good good friend of mine and she gave me this advice a few years ago like the 10 date rule you know before you jump into bed with someone have like 10 dates with them and the date doesn't have to be a, a wine and dine you know three hours out to dinner on a Saturday night sort of thing. It'd just be a catch-up. It can be, you know, a walk on the beach or, you know, 30 minutes at a park or whatever it might be. But you get to know a person a bit more if you've yeah. hung out with them more. And it sounds like what you had with Sandra is like you had a year of good friendship and then obviously a long time between. And, yeah, there's not much of that it seems these days. And then divorce rates are... They're very high. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, just that whole process of falling in love that's a beautiful emotion you know yeah that it's it's interesting I ought to give you a, a podcast I think Please. because I had no idea that it you know porn had become so much the normal look I'm 50 so mm. I'm a little bit removed from that world sure. but I've got two girls so mm. it's a yeah it's a concern I had no idea just that yeah and the, well there's not much as much joy mm. in that. There's no more, you know, there's not much longer-term happiness in that sort of way of looking at relationships, isn't it? It sort of cuts through all of that. Yeah. And it just arrives at the other side. And I think it probably 
I can imagine the porn cheapens mm. the people in it, probably the woman more than the male. <laughs> sure. But, that's yeah. the flip side of, yeah, that that's feminism is sort of like you're trying to like – uh, what's the word, liberate women in being like, oh, they're empowered to do these certain things. But really it's like males and females have roles to play in society. And, you know, yes, we are equal in terms of rights, but we play different roles. Yeah. And, you know, there's a documentary that came out recently. I yet to watch it actually. I've seen clips, but what is a woman? And it, it's it's seemingly very interesting. I was actually talking to a girl last night who's seen it. So I don't know, I probably can't, shouldn't comment too much because I literally haven't seen it. I've only seen a few clips, but it's this idea of like, you know, women play such an important role in our society. And yes, we're equal in terms of, you know, what, what our rights should be and all of these things. But, you know, there's so many things a woman can do that men can't. And, oh, absolutely. And vice versa. You know, there's things men do that women can't and that's fine. But I think, you know, futuristically, we're not going to be allowed to have a sex <laughs> agenda time. Well, it seems like that's, yeah, the way it's going. <laughs> and, you know, haven't they passed something? In, in Germany. In so, Germany so. they have. Okay, no, I thought they were passing something here that was almost making an offence for a family, you know, for parents to talk to their own kids about, you know, gender orientation and sexuality. and. But the school can do it. Yeah, school can do it because the school comes, you know, straight from the government. Well, <laughs> the echo of the government. Yeah, well, it's interesting, like, this going down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I'm not too, like, educated in a sense or, like, yeah, well-educated personally, but I actually saw this, this very quick video on social media recently by this girl, and I'll put this in the show notes because it'll be interesting to people to have a, have a watch and, and view it themselves. But this girl, her name is Shannon Michaela, and she – yeah, this two-minute clip on feminism and the brief part about trying to break down the family unit was getting women in to the workplace so that they're away from their children, the children go to school and then can be indoctrinated by the state. Mm. So it's just this really thing and whether you choose to believe that or not, it is an interesting point of like now children are in school and, yeah, it's like you're not you're not there to be able to, to you know, teach them the way of the world and, look, feel like the way the schooling system is now. It's been around for quite a while, but, yeah, the yeah. public education is even private and, yeah, university and, and that way. It's like, you know, I learned a lot of great things at school and had a lot of great connections, but it's it's messy in a lot of ways and even more so today. It's so tough, I think, to be a kid. I think it is too. I think they're under enormous pressure. Yeah, and getting back to school, I think a lot of people – are starting to homeschool because they've realised too just how much education has changed and become more a source of indoctrination mm. or at least in, in the viewpoints of many yeah. rather than being taught, you know, rather than teaching young people, you know, to make their own minds up about things, they're, they're being taught what to think, yeah. not, you know, how to go and, and learn but just what to think. More and more, and I think there has been an increase with parents homeschooling kids. I even really was looking into it seriously over the summer holidays, but my kids wanted to go back to school for their friends, you know. <laughs> Social aspects are pretty important. I remember growing up thinking yeah. kids who were homeschooled were weirdos, but now it's like I went to a pretty a pretty small primary school, but, yeah, I'm 
probably lean down that path when I when I have kids. Either send them to a, a small a small school where yeah. I I know really well what the curriculum might be, or yeah, homeschool if I'm fortunate enough to be in a position to do that. You know, with my future wife or whatever that relationship <laughs> looks like. But it's yeah, it's it's interesting. So. Yeah, well, there's definitely an increase, so they're not looked on as weirdos anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you no, see what their Facebook, you know how they Facebook keeps them connected, so they go. Yeah. With, you know, they form local groups yeah. and they go off on excursions and have meets and things like that. But I feel like there's so many yeah. better ways as well to develop long-term friendships. Like I am not cl too close with anyone that I went to high school with. Like I'd say they're more acquaintances, but the ones that I'm good friends with, I've met through other groups like playing soccer, like those activities where you make the conscious decision to go and you spend that time there. Yes. That's where my best friends have come from. So wherever your interest lies, like if it's, yeah, in a creative practice, whether it's art, music, a sport, you know, scouts, like I think I feel like those are great ways for kids to make, you know, friends if they're not going to a school. Yes, yeah, their with their hobbies. Yeah. Yeah, yep, I yep. mean, I'm a single male who doesn't have kids. I feel like I'm talking like I'm an expert and I'm not, but these are just my opinions on yeah, how I'm, I'm shaping and, yeah, it's nice to, to hear you speak on it as well. Yeah. Good opinions. Of two young daughters. Yeah. No, they're very good opinions. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and because with the digital age, you know, having those interests and hobbies are, are really important for kids because everything else is digital. Yeah. And their relationships are all digital. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, without having the, you know, like a hobby or an interest that, doesn't include any form of IT. Yeah. <laughs> Those ability, yeah, that ability to connect and relate to others is, you know, their opportunities are more and more limited. Yeah. When your attention is like a foot away on a screen for so long, yeah, how can you be expected to to turn up to a job interview and have a conversation with someone or to make a connection that might lead to a relationship if you can't hold eye contact or can't share a story like, people get those anxieties through, I guess, just not the practice of doing it, not having conversations. Like it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Tough. But yeah. plenty plenty of hope out there, I think. I think so. so. Yeah. People. It's been a really fun conversation. It has and been. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. I've got a few more questions if you don't mind. Not at all. <laughs> Beforehand, I didn't even ask you how long I had you for this morning, but it's been, <laughs> it's been fun. So... The reason why I started podcasting was because I wanted to, yeah, ask a question which I heard a lot in in sort of the big podcast that I listened to, which was somewhat a cliche conversation that these guests would ask the high performing, whether it was athletes or celebrities, and that question was, "What advice would you give to your younger self?" And I thought, well, "What if I asked my dad that? You know, my neighbor, the everyday person, what would their advice be? Would it be similar to those?" successful people who all had a similar sort of answer. So I'd love to know to you, Melinda, you've just turned 50 this year. What advice would you like to give to maybe your 20-year-old self, that girl who was going through surgeries and... Yeah. Well, a little bit off that topic, sort of on it, but sort of off it. I was always a very sensitive young person and I took things, you know, very seriously. And I think it would be nice if I went back in time to say, hey, you know, <laughs> let's just think a little bit more laterally here, whereas I tend to, you know, 
focus on particular things and, and, and become quite, how can I put it? Yeah, you're just quite worried and anxious and, and pedantic about things, you know, and I'd, I'd sort of think, well, you know, this is it. Whereas life always, you know, even when you're going through a very particular, a particularly difficult moment, Life always gives you other other opportunities and, and each, you, you know, your life is a series of stages. So when you do become stuck or, you know, having a really bad time, whether it's health or whether it's something else, I wish I'd known then what I know now, it does come to an end. It's just like a really bad day. You know, it does come to an end and things move and things flow and you've got to make sure they move and make sure they flow too. And, you know, good things happen again. You know, it's not the be all and end all. I get myself very distressed at those, you know, difficult times in life, especially when I was very young. And I wish I'd sort of lightened up a little bit more now, I guess, yeah, and thought laterally yeah. and realised that, you know, it's just, it's just a stage, you know, and things are going to change and life flows and, and, and changes happen, good and bad at times. But I guess, you know, to quote what Sandro, you know, once said when I sort of said, oh, I didn't really like this particular change. I wanted things to stay as they are. I was quite comfortable with that, you know. And he'd say, but no, you, you can't be. And I said, well, why not? He said, because you'll be dead. That's when things don't change, you know. You're just in that state. When you're alive, things are always changing and evolving, mm. you know, but I didn't understand that back then. It's like, you know. When about, did he say that to you? Oh, a few years ago now. We were married and I looked at him and I said, well, yes. And how could I not think that way? <laughs> I do now, but I thought, well, no, change is good because, yes, it's part of life and we're alive if things are changing and evolving and flowing, aren't we? And look, all the therapies I practice, it's really silly that I had to be told that. <laughs> but the way you said it, the words he, he chose have stayed in my head. It's very provoking. Yeah, very thought-provoking. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. He No, he's a, he's a lovely man. And I think, you know, second world people, they they experience, in, they experience a lot of different suffering than what we do and a lot more poverty. You know, and it shapes their character and yeah. they have a different type of maturity, I guess, to yeah. what we do in a first world country where everything is being a lot more within our reach. We want, we get. That's like cliche, have. like first world problems, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We've got these these very superficial problems that don't exist in those second or third world countries. So That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But so if I could go back to my 20-year-old self and made it clear that this wasn't it in life, things were going to change, I was going to improve my health or work at it until it did improve, you know, when you're really young, you, you sort of think, well, 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 this is it. And you don't see that whole change and, and evolution. So that's what I would do. I'd, I'd give myself that advice. <laughs> Love it. Great advice. Thank you so much. That's okay. For your time today. It's been really nice. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say before we we finish? Maybe prompted with a question. No, no. 
I should. This would be my moment to say something really life changing. <laughs> you just moments. did, I think. You yeah. really just did. I've run out of them, I think. Then. That's great. Do you want to maybe let people know if they wanted to reach out to you and get in touch, where they maybe could? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Particularly, you know, if you are interested in looking at alternative forms of health as well. I have a website, it's breakfreetherapies.com.au and, yeah, I think that would probably be the easiest way because yeah. I'm, all my contact details are there. Perfect. And if they wanted to find out about any of those therapies as well yeah. or just have a chat, you know, I always in, enjoy doing doing that. If someone gives me a call or messages me out of the blue and they're struggling with something and it doesn't have to be with health, it can also be you know, uh, something emotional or spiritual, I'm, I'm always happy to, you know, have a chat with them and see whether I can just help them on to, well, their next stage of evolution. Break free. <laughs> break free, break free from pain and stress and, and, and yeah, yeah, and being stagnant, yeah. moving on. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been yeah, a pleasure. I'm sure we'll have more conversations in the years to come. Thank you very much, Irene. Thanks for your patience. I'm a bit of a talker, aren't I? Okay, Thank you. So there you have it, another episode of The Hope Initiative. Thank you so much to Melinda for inviting me into your home and taking the time. Thank you to my dad for suggesting Melinda back in June when I visited. And it just goes to show that even though you may not have had much association with a family member, you can learn so much from them. So if you don't want to go and speak to a stranger or look at a stranger in the eye, go speak to a family member who perhaps is still essentially a stranger. Uh, everything we mentioned was in the show notes so check that out if you'd like to get in touch with Melinda and as always guys you've listened all the way through I would love for you to share this with a family member or friend someone you think can get some value out of the things we've spoken about today and until next time keep on creating your life and all the very best